welcome to the dungeon for episode five, A Good Dia de los Muertos to Die Hard. I'm Matt. I'm Evelyn. Today I have Evelyn here in the studio with me. She's going to be my co-host because Renee couldn't make it. She was off doing Lord knows what. But uh, Evelyn's been my constant companion over the last couple of months. Uh, she, she's she been with me to the AOS League and she's also she was also with me into the 40K League. And she likes to, for some inexplicable reason, put together put together models and paint them and play and everything like that. So let me ask you, Evelyn, when did you get into Warhammer? Uh, it definitely had to be elementary school, but I'm not exactly sure when I really started playing a lot or when I started playing at the store. I feel like you began playing for real, like actually playing and not just coming every once in a while to the, to the store with me and you know watching me play or maybe I help you play. If you remember, you went to Nova Open with me. Oh, yeah. This was 2019? Yep, 2019. Yeah, that was that was really fun. Yeah. And what was your first army? My first army was Night Hunt, I think. Not your first army. I, so that was a, a first army that I kind of let her borrow while I was... I had a bunch of it because AOS 2 had just come out, and I thought they looked really cool. So I put them together. I kind of painted a little bit of them. She didn't really put them together or paint. I guess she helped me together but they weren't really yours what was your first army that was actually yours my first army that was actually mine that i did bring to nova in fact was my ogres yeah so she played ogres at a time when before maw tribes was even a thing uh she just used the ogres out of the, the destruction handbook and and that was that she just came over and whooped them good and ate them up most of the time anyways what drew you to ogres i'm just curious um, I like that they seemed simple enough to put together. I'm not super big fan of putting things together. But also, I like the fact that they're very simple to play with. You basically just go up and you hit things, destroy things. ABC? Yeah. Always be charging. Why this hobby as opposed to another one? Like, why Why not video games? Why not, you know, why not Dungeons & Dragons? Well, I was into Dungeons & Dragons for a little while. I fell out. For, I think it was for because of school, because I couldn't keep it up with school because it required time outside of just those sessions. But Warhammer, other than putting together and painting the mods, which does take time, but I enjoy doing things with my hands. I didn't have to worry about missing something at school or having to chat with people and having to actually put in some lore. And video games never really hit it off with me because I wasn't good at first person shooters, never liked them. I liked open world. Still play Minecraft, we'll say. Most video games didn't have very much interest to me. I and, and I I will preface this by saying I've seen Evelyn come down and listen to music in my hobby room or my game room. She'll go in there and put models together or paint models and she'll actually get a whole bunch done. Uh after after her ogres and she's Still got a little bit to paint up with her ogres, but not a whole lot. She, you just about finished that army. After ogres, what army did you start after that? After ogres was, were my bone reapers, my Ossiarc bone reapers. And I really loved them. I loved painting them. My paint scheme was pretty epic, if I do say so myself. It was simple as well, which helped. But it, it, was, it was really cool. Yeah, and special thanks to Blake for uh, 
giving her a couple more Ossiarch bone ring, the, um, what are they called? Morgast Harbringers? Yeah, he gave her a bunch of Morgast Harbringers and Morgast Archai, and they are really nice. Thank you so much for that. I will say, it's made it so that she can really play the game kind of a little bit better, because before, I, she only had like two. They're really mean, but there's only two of them in a unit, so... Recently, you've kind of delved into 40k as well. So what what have you um what have you been playing with that? Uh, I got back into my Tyranids right before we locked down. I started playing Tyranids, started getting some, started paying them up. I had it going pretty good, and then I couldn't play any, anymore. So I got back once we were able to get out and see people again. I got out and played Tyranids again, and they've been really fun. Just when I left them off. Yeah, you just you go forward and eat people with them. Yeah. Just nom, 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 nom. tends to be my theme with armies. I I think you told me earlier that you really like the big monsters for Tyranids. Yeah, the big monsters they have. First of all, they have really epic lore. But other than that, they're like not super squishy, but they're not also overpowered, and they have their own little jobs they can do. Yeah, yeah. So that is pretty much Evelyn in a nutshell. Uh, by the way, Evelyn is 15. She is my daughter. And when she says she's been playing since elementary school, that's not a joke. Like I used to have her play on one side of the board and I'd play on the other and I'd say, well, you should probably do this or you should probably do that. And nowadays um, she whoops my friend's butts in, in Age of Sigmar party on the regular. I do remember when I was when I was really young, I didn't play the game. I wasn't super good at the game or I couldn't really understand it very well. It's maybe the third grade, but we did this YouTube channel. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I used to do YouTube battle reports because I thought they were so cool, and that's all I really wanted to do, and we had this, uh, we had this like, little camcorder thing that we used. It was actually a camera, like a normal camera that just took videos, so I would just take video and then cut it and edit it. I think, didn't you play a game with, did you play a game with Tyranids? I may have. It was either that or Blood Angels. I'll have to look at it. I, the channel's still up. It only has like six or seven battle reports. We didn't, I didn't do that many, but I thought it was cool at the time. That was back in uh, seventh edition. Yeah, oh. little little me thought it was just like the best thing ever. Yeah, that was cool. So today we're going to talk a little bit about our painting and hobby, and I'll ask Evelyn a little bit about hers, and then we'll get into some battles played. I've unfortunately only played one battle over the last two weeks because life has been, life just been whooping my butt. It's been really busy at work, and I've had to really uh, get behind these kids and their schoolwork. Oh, let me tell you, don't ever have kids, guys. I wow. At, I look over at Evelyn, and she's like smiling at me because she knows I'm not talking about her. She's actually doing really well in school. It's my son that needs to you know, get the boot. But I did. I was able to play one game, and I'm super happy I was able to play it with Jim's great guy from the store. And I played with my Night Haunt because, you know, Dia de los Muertos. By the way, it is the last day of Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. Yeah, I wouldn't know much about that, but I do still know something about it. Well, I'll have you know that my son, Perrin, has had to do a lot of um, a lot of that kind of stuff for Spanish class, and I've been helping him with it, so we've been learning about it, and I think it's kind of neat. Um, so that's actually what our what our main segment is going to be about today. How would the various factions of Age of Sigmar deal with Day of the Dead? How would they respect it? How would they celebrate it? Would they celebrate it? And then what do they do with their dead? Like what, what do the various factions do with their dead? How they, do they bury them? Do they, how do they honor them in, in whatever way? I have a little bit of um, 
hobby tool segment, of course, in between the hobby and paint. And um, then we have a question answering time. And I think the question today is about uh, Warhammer 40K, actually. It's about Crusade, those mission packs that they sell, that GW sells. So that's it. And I can't wait to see you guys back for the hobby and paint segment. Welcome back for the hobby and paint segment. I'll go ahead and start off first because I actually I feel ashamed. I haven't done as much as I wish that I had over the last two weeks. The only thing I've really done is I I got a little bit of paint on some corn models because I've I've really and just a little bit. I mean I'm talking maybe only two hours of paint on them, which makes me feel really bad. I just put some red on them and did a little bit of brown on the boots and just kind of did a couple of accents and a couple of bases. And then the only other thing I've done is I did put together my Gorka knot. So kind of happy about that. No, I, I actually did a little more. I put together some of the um, Dominion box set, the, the stink boys for them. Yeah. I haven't really done a whole lot either. I guess I can talk about stuff before the big week of not doing anything. Say so the big week of not doing anything. The problem is it's the end of the quarter and it's been whooping our butt, what, myself at work, and then the kids, it's the end of the quarter, so they have a bunch of projects due and a bunch of tests, and it's been every single night until 8 or 8.30, we're either doing schoolwork or studying or something, and until then, you know, I'm just looking at spreadsheets and testing, and my eyes are just red and wow, that kind of thing. I have done a little bit for my Ossiarch Bone Reapers, I did put together my liege cavalos and worked on like one and a half dudes for my riders one and a half dudes is that what the war scroll name is or do you just <laughs> <laughs> no that's not their name do you remember what their name is cavalos death riders yes cavalos death riders so she put together one and a half cavalos death riders but before that what were you doing i was really working hard on my bone reapers army i was putting a whole bunch of dudes together I have like 40 little uh, Mortech guard. Yeah, she did completely paint 40 Mortech guard. Well, I shouldn't say completely paint because I think 20 of them aren't based yet. No, they're not. They're actually, they're painted. When you paint, sit down and paint 40 guys, that's, that's quite a bit, right? Yeah. And it's, and I didn't put them all together at the same time. It was like 20 and then I painted them and based them fully. And then I got another 20 and painted them completely but i haven't fully based them yet blake gave you those um morgast archive morgast harbringers have you been working on those i did work on them a little bit i stopped like i said because of the whole school thing and then we have my terrain piece oh yeah that thing has been it's just been primed forever i feel like it just it it's not been doing well for you in battles, and the reason why is because it hasn't been painted. You just haven't shown it any love. I know. I've been trying. I went to High Tide yesterday, and I was working on putting together my Liege Cavalos and my Death Riders, and I was like, I should bring some paints to paint my terrain piece, and he was like, you're not going to finish putting together those dudes, and I was like, I know. Yeah, but you did get at least two and a half models put together. And you know what? Maybe tonight after we finish recording, you can uh, you can finish putting together your other five, or I'm sorry, your other what? Eight. Eight. Ooh, your other eight Death Riders? Yeah. It'll go faster now, now that you've gotten a couple of them out of the way. Don't worry, I've got stuff to put together. You yeah. can You can sit in your mother's chair while she doesn't do any painting by the way Renee hasn't done any painting because uh, she just started working full-time during these two weeks that have been oh so busy for me so 
uh, her work has been having her come in pretty much every day. She does get two days off, but they're not two consecutive days. So sometimes it's a little bit hard for her to like sit down and enjoy things like gaming or painting because anytime she's at work, she's dealing with this stuff. Like she, she works at a hobby store. So when she's at work, she deals with it. She comes home and I'm talking about it. I make her do the podcast with me and she has to talk about it. Poor lady. It's her life. We've all been really busy. I will say through these two weeks, I also managed to get some tyranids put together. Oh yeah, you did. Didn't you? Yeah, I got three warriors put together Ooh, nice. oddly enough that's really good at least you got that and i i did i do believe i primed those for you too yes mm-hmm. i just have to figure out if i'm sticking with my paint scheme trying something new not all of your tyranids have to be exactly the same that's the best part about tyranids right yeah now is usually when i talk about what i want to do over the next couple of weeks but i'm so i've been so frenetic about what i've wanted to do that and it's so weird. I, I've, I'll tell you what I do want to do. Let me let me just say it right out. I want to put together the rest of my cruel boys and I want to prime them and paint some of them and then bring them in and play with them a little bit. Because at first I was a little bit down on that army, but now that I'm looking at the little combos that you can kind of do, I feel like maybe I can make a little bit something of it. It might be a challenge. I don't know. I feel like I can make a cruel list. You always like playing challenging armies. Like, you play corn a lot, which isn't always the best army, but it's still whoops. I like it because you you really, with corn, you got to be strategic. You can't just ABC, even though that's what corn is about, right? Yeah, it seems super simple. I, I love a little bit of a challenge, so I'll probably be messing around with those guys, and I don't know, maybe I'll paint up some things for my 40k orcs, but... I'll probably just be doing that, uh, the Cruel Boys stuff. I'm going to put them all together. I bought a bunch of stuff. I, I still have all the Dominion side of the box set. I bought a Muckraker, the Scumdrek or something. It like slides its belly through the swamp and then has like this trail of poop that all the warriors dip their spears in. Gives them extra mortal wounds. Gross. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. And then I got like a Trog Sloth, whatever it is, the the goblins that are like on top of the... The trog that is crawling around. Oh, that thing is so cool. You'll have to you have to look at it when you go in. I put it together last night when I came home from high tide. Ooh. Yeah, it looks really cool. It's this nasty, creeping, crawling-looking trog with, like, a howdah on its back and two nasty old goblins, or three of them, actually. One of them's, like, beating drums, and then gives plus one to hit for everything within tw- uh, 18 inches. Nice. Pretty nice. kind of want to get paint down on those. I just think they look cool. I feel like I I could do like a really good swampy scheme, you know? Yeah, I need to get some paint down as well. I'm over here staring at my terrain piece. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so I'm going to do that. What are you going to do over the next two weeks? I am probably going to see if I can get some stuff painted, some stuff finished painting, maybe spaces. All depends on how heavy my workload is for school. But other than that, I have a feeling I could, I really need to like focus hard on my terrain piece. Okay. So can I get a commitment out of you for that terrain piece? Uh, you know what? I'm going to try and have it fully painted by the next time. Excellent. Two weeks time, fully painted terrain piece. Also, you're going to have your other guys put together, right? Sure. It's only eight guys. You could put together eight guys in two weeks. That's not too difficult. We'll see. Not difficult. Not difficult. Now we come to the part of the hobby and paint segment that I like to call the hobby tool segment. In this one, I have knife versus files. Uh, what do you use to cut the mold lines off of your, of your models? Because as we all know, mold, I mean, models have mold lines and they got little plastic boogers on them and you have to either cut it off or file it off depending on kind of what you like to do. 
And it's funny, my, my youngest daughter calls it sharpening the model because she, she thinks that I was sharpening my models when she was like really young. So she's like, daddy's all over there sharpening his model. I'm like, no, I'm cutting the mold lines off. So, you know, I scraped the hobby tool. Let me ask you, what do you like to do, Evelyn? I use a knife as many times as I've stabbed myself. I have not used a file yet, although I am curious to try it. I'm not sure if it's like if you can get it around those tight edges if you need it to. Yeah, that's really the qu- the question. And actually, I thought that myself. I was wondering because I never used a file until one day I went to um, when I went to Nova Open. I spent a lot of I spent like sixty dollars on this really beautiful set of brushes. I mean, it lasted me a long, long time. And they said, "Oh, well, if you buy the whole set, then you get this set of files. It's like diamond files." And I said, "Okay." So you got the diamond files. And then I set them in my hobby room and kind of forgot about them for a long time until one day uh, Rebecca came over and she said, oh, I forgot my files. Can I, you know, can I borrow yours? And I said, oh, yeah, no problem. She got it out and I was watching her do it. Hmm, Maybe I should try these. So I, I tried them on a couple of models and what I found was they're actually really good for a lot of, as long as the, the, the plastic isn't like, super thin and super brittle it's really nice for it like when you when the plastic is thin like if it's a chain that's hanging off of some guy's arm or if it's like a blade then a lot of times i like to use my hobby knife and just like a sharp hobby knife and slice i try not to slice into the model itself i just try to slice along the you know scrape it along the edge but a lot of times a file if i press too hard or if i I don't know, it just, it's weird. It scores that blade and it makes it kind of weird. Makes it all kinds of flat. I noticed that when I, when I file other parts of the model, sometimes I can get in there a little bit easier than I can for, with a knife, like in between legs or in like where the, the model's crotches or little tiny places. And when I go in there with a the file, I can just move it back and forth real slow and real steady, you know, just a little tiny bit. I think that I, I want to use a dual approach in the future and I have been. Um, where I use the file, I'm sorry, I use the knife for most of the, the delicate work, the real delicate work, and then I use the file for anything that I don't think will break off in my hand. It's a little sad, a lot of Ossiac Bone Bruce's uh, little itty-bitty brittle bones that you have a hard time uh, messing with. Those harbingers, oh God, they're such oh, a yeah. pain to put together. Yeah, those harbingers are the worst. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think that a file would have done you much good for a lot of your bone reapers or a lot of my night haunt, for example. The file's really difficult to use with them. With corn, for instance, we had a great time with the file and corn. Those things are chunks of models, chunks of plastic right there. Yeah. So that's our hobby tool segment. Knives and files. Knives versus files. Never bring a file to a knife fight. That's what I say. Just think, if you do have your knife on you then you can always accidentally stab yourself. But I have not, I've yet to actually stab myself with a file. Yeah, I've stabbed myself with a knife a couple of times. Especially when it's sharp. Thank you very much for listening to the Hobby and Paint segment. We will be right back with uh, Games Played. Welcome back. We're going to talk about Games Played. And I've got only one game over the last two weeks, but it was a good game and it was a very memorable one because of, uh, you know, we're, celebrating day of the dead here i wanted to play with my night haunt because i felt like hey what you know what better army to play with than night haunt right and i especially wanted to try them out because i hadn't actually played with them in aos 3 yet i played with them a lot in two and i was very happy with them and in three 
I'll have to say, I didn't much respect their unrendable saves because I thought so much about how I couldn't affect them with you know, command points or with spells, you know, the new Mystic Shield, and they can't use terrain. So it was, it was a lot of me putting my hands up in the air and thinking, well, I can't really make choices with this army, so what? You know, what good is it? It's just a bunch of five ups and four up saves. But I am happy to report that that actually goes the other way too, because I, I, Jim, I could tell he was, he would look at me and he would say, all right, you've got 15 saves to make at minus two. That doesn't matter to you, does it? And I'm like, nope, I get a four up no matter what, or I get a five up no matter what. And then I would get like my six up death save. I could definitely tell that it affected him in the same way that it affected me, which felt like we weren't sort of playing the game, if that makes sense. You know, he would he would say, okay, well, that Celestar Ballista is going to get you, and it's a rend of, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, man. When I roll those four ups, I mean, when I didn't, he'd do D6 damage, and it would, like, kill a bunch of things. But when when it did happen, it would just shut him down immediately, just no matter what. I'd be like, oh, I only rolled a four. I'm real sorry. One thing that Nighthaunt has going for them, though, is they do have pretty good rend on a lot of their attacks. I And they do lots of mortal wounds, which is very, very good in this edition. Anytime you have a lot of mortal wound output and you've got some rend on your guys, you are doing really well. The little chain the little chain hordes, those um, chain rasp hordes, they didn't do that great because they have a 5-up on rendable save, which isn't that good. They have a bunch of attacks, but they don't have any rend and... A lot of times now you've got things with two up or three up save and they just kind of shrug it off and say, okay, <laughs> good, good luck, buddy. If you compare that to say the hex race who I'll, I'll run over some people and say, oh, well, here's two mortal wounds. And then I come in, give them an extra attack. And all of a sudden there's like six more mortal wounds because, you know, I roll sixes and he's looking over at his dwarfs with two plus armor saves going, wow, I just lost like six guys out of 10 to mortal wounds. And that's hard to deal with. It would be hard if he was stormcast. It would be hard if he's dwarves or with anybody else. Lumineth would be hard pressed to deal with that as well. And of course, um, Nighthaunt do have some decent casting ability and decent abilities to dispel. So I feel like they play that part of AOS three particularly well. They're still sort of a force to be reckoned with. I feel like he, although when they go down, they go down real hard. Like he, he charged his cavalry into my hex wraith and killed them from 10 to like two or yeah, I think I had two hex wraiths at the end of that. I was like, Oh no, (laughs) it was a little bit of a pucker moment there. I did end up pulling out the win, but I feel like if he had, um, it was a pretty close game as far as in the second round, if he had hit me on my left flank a little harder and left my right flank alone because I overcompensated on my right flank to deal with his um, his Iron Drakes, the, the shooting dwarf guys. But if he had left that side alone and gone on for my left, my left flank, it might, I'm pretty sure it would have collapsed and I would have just been like, Oh no, what am I going to do? But one, one good thing about Nighthaunt is that they don't suffer from a lot of the, uh, a lot of the maladies that other races suffer from when they get hit with endless spells that are like, okay, he, I think he casts that comment almost every turn with really, really good results. He would say, Oh, well, there's, there's, Two mortal wounds here, three mortal wounds here, a couple mortal wounds here. And then I was just bringing Nighthaunt back left and right. I then During my hero phase, I would just bring him back with one one ability or another, or one spell or another. And 
I think that was having an effect because instead of whittling down my guys, it was just sort of a null. And I don't think you want to go for a null when you're talking about offensive abilities like that. You want to, like, I think it would be much better if he had been able to say, okay, well, here's D six mortal wounds to this squad of hex race. And then here's D six more or D three more. And here's some more mortal wounds and have some more stuff. If you just try to get one or two mortal wounds here and there on my squads, then I'm, I'm just going to regenerate them in some way, shape or form. So that's how that game went. Uh, Jim was really great about it. I, and he asked before the game, he says, do you want to play against Gotrick or not? And I said, uh, I played against Gotrick last time. I wanted to see what his army was like without Gotrick. And I will say he has got that casting down. And I mean, down, down. It's really good at casting that army. And he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of good potential with shooting. And I, I feel like if he had taken, if he hadn't taken the two cell star ballistas and he had, and the rune Lord and then take in like one more squad of Stormcast, then I would have been in some real trouble because those Stormcast they are really mean. They, like I said, they killed my hex race almost to a guy. So that was how that went. Uh, overall, I was, I was very happy with, with how the night haunt played. And I, I felt like they were a little bit of a glass cannon, but they are still a cannon. Uh, even if they shatter on impact, they will still oof, do some impact during the game. I also, um, I told Jim that the black coach was a monster because I honestly thought he was, even though I forgot to do his monstrous rampage completely. And I, it turns out I am wrong about that. He, it is a behemoth, but it's not a monster, which is very odd. I, I feel like it should be a monster. Don't you feel like the black coach should be a monster? Evelyn? Uh, sort of yes. And sort of no, I feel like an AOS, a lot of the monsters look like monsters and that may be why it's not uh, like, considered a monster monster i guess but it's big though it's huge it is pretty big and i i did give him a point for it so at least at least he got the benefit out of my my accidental telling it was a monster the only the only monster that they have is a morgan goal who i mean he's good he's not bad morgan isn't bad but i feel like he if it reminds me of the the trog Trog with a break a boss on top where you like smack it for D3 mortals and gets a bunch of attacks. That kind of is what the Morgul feels like to attack. Yeah, I've seen that dude. He's they both look pretty cool. The Morgul seems is so terrifying. Oh yeah, that thing is really crazy. I, I wouldn't have played with it probably, but I I I wanted to feature it in my battle because it was featured in the short story that you guys will hear later. Uh, so I, I really, I wanted to, I wanted to play with it. I wanted to, I wanted to see what it looked like, what it did on the battlefield, because I feel like it really is a scary monster. <laughs> it is super scary. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, a Morngul is the geist of a person who uh, starved to death in some horrible way. And they, they crawl on two oversized hands with huge claws and they, they stuff their gobbit with with meat and whatever viscera and it just falls out the bottom side of them because it's just their guts are just hanging out. And so they leave like splatters of blood and trails of horribleness all along all along. That's pretty terrible. It's pretty awful. It is. I, I feel like almost everything in that Night Hawn army is pretty awful, but I love painting them. They they were one of my favorite armies to paint. And I still have a couple of models that are like half painted in that army. So maybe in the next two weeks, I'll pick one. Maybe Reikonor the Grim Hailer. I, I still have him and he's he's like three quarters of the way painted. The only thing I really have to do is 
his skin a little bit and some blood effects and then maybe his base. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I'd like to take credit for the paint scheme because that was my <sighs> idea. Evelyn, you know, I was like, Evelyn, what what two colors don't go together but you think you could that I could make them go together? And she says, purple and uh, fire and like purple and orange or something like that. And I was like, okay, okay, let me try this. So I painted them purple and then on the edges, they're like on fire. And I've talked about their their this army a little bit before about how they're they're running they're constantly running from fire that burns them that they can never outrun but it never fully burns them up yeah that part of the lore wasn't my idea but i the colors were mine i thought it was cool in fact that was the first time that i i saw an army and painted it to what i thought would be like cool looking lore and it all worked out it all kind of everything fit into place yeah it also like it's really it looks super cool it's, uh, I'm, I, did you airbrush it? Yeah, I airbrush it all. Cause you, I mean, I don't have to, but certainly made it a lot easier to blend the colors. Cause I was trying to blend colors that weren't particularly close to each other. So I had to go light or dark to light and then back to dark and then light again. Cause I had to make fiery edges and then they went to dark, like a dark red that bled into a sort of brownish black and then a purple and then light purple on the edges. And then they have green for skin because they're supposed to be like ghostly green skin. Ghostly green. Yeah, because they're ghosty boys. Yeah, it looked really cool. I like them a lot. Oh, and they have swamp bases. I, I poured resin for their bases and it's all like nasty swamp. Yeah, that was another thing that was like pretty epic. It's kind of like with your deepkin where you made like really resiny, watery, gross looking bases yeah they've got that was my that my, that was actually my first attempt the deepkin were my first attempt at a uh like a water base and i wanted to make them kind of like the ocean so they were a little bit more blue but these these uh night hunt were my second attempt and you could tell they look a little bit better everything looks a little more like like a swamp it's kind of greenish it's got like a bluish green tinge to it and when i did my uh stormcast which i'll do my orcs in the same scheme i'm I did my stormcast in kind of like a little bit of a swamp, but more of like a, like puddles of green swampy on the ground rather than like resin filled. And I think that's what I'm going to do with my orcs as well. I'm going to make puddles out of water effects and things like that. Grossness. Mm -hmm. Grossness. That's what I like. So uh, enough about my battle. Let's talk about your battle. My last battle was actually a humongous siege for the 40K League. That I was brought to. I know dad didn't play in it. Yeah. Okay. So I was tapped to get into this, uh, to do this uh, free RPG day thing. And I did the zombie side one. And afterwards, I mean, they had already started and maybe I think they were like a half hour, 45 minutes in by the time I was done, but I was just exhausted. Like if you ever DM, you can't do anything after that. You just kind of have to lay around in a daze. I was, I was really exhausted after that yeah i understand i also sort of played in that demo game while i was waiting and then all of a sudden my mom comes in she's like hey they're starting and i'm like oh god that was fun it was cool what about how what happened in the siege so i got there and our side was working on setting up because we were setting up first the guy who plays nurgle came up to me and was like hey do you want to go in front of my dudes so nobody can get to them? Because he was playing a mostly shooting army. And I was like, that sounds pretty epic. And so I did. And I basically ran up 
and got all their dudes into combat and just held there. By the way, that guy that plays Nurgle, he is a super, super great guy. Great uh, painter, too. I love the look of his models. They look fantastic. It made me want to play Nurgle, not going to lie. I know, right? You see it and you're like, oh, man, maybe I could do a little bit of that. But I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I got to, I got to focus. Yeah, we, we have to stay in our lanes. We have to keep our blinders on. Although Maggotkin of Nurgle are coming out and I feel like that would be a good Christmas army, right? Yeah, that'd be super fun. Mm. So my Hive Tyrant, my Birdlord, got into it with, whose Dreadnought did I get into? Uh, was it Phil's Dreadnought? It may have been. Blood it Angel's was, Dreadnought or was it like a It was either Blood Angel's or the um, Sisters. Oh, the Sisters Battle Dreadnought. It was one or the other. I think it might have been Blood Angel's though. And we, I just sort of held there and he was like, I can't do anything. I can't move. I can't. Like, go get other things. I have to focus on you. And neither of us were killing each other, so it's just sort of like... Mm. Oh, you know what? It must not have been the Blood Angels Dreadnought then. It actually must have been the... Um, it was probably uh, Blake's Dreadnought, which which was Shooty Dreadnought. Yeah. So it didn't have, like, a bunch of close combat weapons. It just kind of stomped you. <laughs> yeah, which neither of us really did a whole lot. I did have to leave early, sadly. Because my mom had been there for t- like 12 hours. Yeah, because she was like, oh, I'll stay after my shift and, and wait for Evelyn. And I went home and they came home eventually. And Evelyn's like, I had to leave early. And her mom was like, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I will say one thing I might have could have done different in that game was I got my gene stealers up out there and they died pretty quickly. They didn't really do a whole lot that game, which was really sad because they really can do a whole lot. They can they can murder something as soon as they get up there. They are the epitome of a glass cannon. You know, if you want to play more like Gene Stealers, I actually think that you should try out Gene Stealer cults. I think you might like them a little bit because they use, they use Gene Stealers. They use that the tactic of your opponent sets up and you set up blips and they've got a lot more shooting in Gene Stealer cults. I will say Tyranids has almost no shooting unless you bring Termagants. Yeah, I don't have, I, I've got a lot of close combat Tyranids, but I don't have hardly any shooting, no Exocrines, no like, I don't have a whole, whole lot of huge Psychers or anything like that. So, I mean, the, the big Psychic shooters. So Evelyn doesn't have a whole lot to choose from as far as, like I don't have any Hive Guard or anything like that. So nothing, nothing tournament shooty or anything like that. And I feel bad because all she kind of has to run up and chop things to death which and, i do really well i will say but sometimes it just doesn't you know against a bunch of guns she just dies <laughs> so i feel like i feel like you should maybe do a foray into gene stealer cults plus they're gonna have i think that gene stealer cults is one of the next couple of codexes that are gonna come out because they did a preview and they're doing like a, a army a two army thing with like Gene Stiller Cults on one side and uh, Adeptus Custodes on the other. Ooh, that sounds pretty epic. So you might want to consider looking into looking into Gene Stiller Cults. They have a bunch of really cool models too, and I don't know, I, I enjoyed painting them. Yeah, that was an army that I thought was another one of those like really epic paint schemes, mainly because everybody complains about the color yellow. I, I don't never really understood why, but your entire army paint scheme was mostly yellow. It's all yellow. Yeah, I was like, hmm, I'll just paint them all yellow. I don't care. And I think it looks fine. Didn't have any trouble painting them up. I'd, I'd used, um, I used airbrush where I could. I 
brushed some of them. I don't know. I, I love taking guard, Imperial guard, and then just like, or astronaut term or whatever you want to call them. And, and then converting them. That's, oh, that's like. so gross. Oh yeah. They'll have like, it'll be just this normal Imperial guard guy. And he'll have like a talon or like a super big head with like no hair and throbbing veins or whatever. Yeah. That army was really fun. Um, but you can always, when it comes out, you could always paint or not paint, but you could always, uh, play with the models that I have too. If you wanted to just do something different. Yeah. Just try it out. And you've never even, you've never heard of Adeptus Custodes, have you? I've heard of them. I've never played against them and never played with them, but I have heard of them. Anyways. They are, if I could, if you could imagine ogres, but in 40 K and they're super good at shooting and they have a super good armor class and they all have invulnerable saves. Ew. Yeah, and they move fast and they shoot well and they reroll hits and they do this and they, they do everything perfectly. Ew. Oh, oh, and, and they're, the other things in their codex are Sisters of Silence, which are psychic blanks that um, essentially just say, oh, you've got a psyker on your side? That's cute. No, you don't. I'm just going to shut that down right now. That sounds gross. Yep. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. And, and low model count, too, so you might want to consider that. Really good, really nice and, you know, nice and ogre Ogre-y. ABC, right? Yeah. Kind of an ABC army. Yeah, my ogres. I saw the kid who was playing ogres. Hunter. Hunter, yeah. So Hunter was starting it with ogres. I was like, oh my god, I remember them. You know what you should do the next time we go because our league is our, our league just ended. You should bring your ogres next time and do a game with them. Ooh, you mix it up a little bit, right? Mix it up, make it a little fancy. Yeah, I like I like playing different armies on different days. I don't. I mean, I do like to be a part of a league, but I don't like playing the same army for like twelve to fifteen weeks. It it just starts to get repetitive to me i like to have different that's why i have all these different armies honestly i like i love my deepkin i want to play my deepkin again i love my um my orcs i want to play war clans again hell i even love my uh my little grots i want to play some grots eventually little grots mm-hmm. and also a I was pumpkin kinda, patch a pumpkin patch yeah i was looking at that army a little bit i was kind of side-eyeing it because Mom played it when she went to Nova, right? She did, to not that great of effect, I think. They're, they're just, oh, man, they're just in a class by themselves as not great. I yeah. wish they were. But. She did complain a little bit about them, but they look so cool. And I feel like, I, I want to try. I'm sure I wouldn't be the wouldn't be the one that would always win, but it, I'd try. Mm-hmm. Hey, you could always do what I do. Fight those uphill battles, right? Yeah. I That's the only problem when I when I bring things like, my deepkin, I kind of like, I brought my deepkin tonight. I'm real sorry. <laughs> and then I look at my opponent and he kind of looks at me in size. I'm like, well, I don't have 15 or 20 eels. I only have like six eels, three of each. You know, I've got three guard and three. So I have a bunch of different stuff in the army, but that army is strong. It is strong. When it first like came out and was like uber broken, I remember you got it and I was like, people are just not going to like that. No, and I loved it though. I love the models. I love painting it. Oh, and it looks so good. I'm looking at it right now and I just I love it. And that was when I I first noticed you use it we used like shimmery paint. Really really like shiny. Flashy. Oh yeah, I used the color changing paints cuz Rebecca left them over here. The fool left her paints over here. No, I was just joking. I uh she left all of our paints over here and I noticed they were color shifting. And one day um, 
Alan and I were like, oh, well, how are we going to paint this? Um, I think he had like a, a Thousand Suns beast or something that he needed to paint. And we decided to just try them out. And the instructions said, spray this over black. And we were like, okay, if you insist. So we, we sprayed a bunch and we, I looked really good. And I thought, oh, this might work over my eels really well and over the, over everything. And it did it look, it looked really good. Because before I made it kind of look like shark skin, but real kind of dark and with the light underbellies. So now the shark skin has kind of like a double color feel to it. It's a little, it's a little less natural and a little more fantastic. Yeah, magical. (laughs) Those are the games played. We'll be right back. We're going to go ahead and get started into the, uh, into the meat of the podcast, which is sort of like a Dia de los Muertos, like how would all the other races of the Warhammer world deal with this and uh, we'll be right back welcome back and we're talking about dia de los muertos or the day of the dead and really we're we're asking ourselves two questions about each of these warhammer factions like one what exactly do you think how did how exactly do you think that these warhammer factions would celebrate the day of the dead if they would even celebrate them and number two how do they deal with their dead like how do they prepare them and I guess we should start with uh, Sages of Sigmar. Do you want me to go ahead and start? We'll, we'll kind of sound off. Yeah, sure. Okay. So cities would kind of do either a cremation or a burial, but probably cremation because they, I mean, if you think about it, they wouldn't want them to come back as zombies and skeletons. Though so many years pass in between incursions and bad events that if you think about it, if you have five or six or seven generations in between uh, terrible events with zombies or skeletons or whatever, maybe you're like, ah, it's just an old wives tale or like, yeah, that happened in the past, but it hasn't happened. So we're, we're okay to bury our dead. And then all of a sudden, you know, all the cemeteries start to overflow and bone reapers come. And then you're like, oh, thank God we didn't burn these guys. <laughs> right. Oh God. So I'd say before the necroquake, cities probably would have celebrated in a very neighborly way. Like they may have shared food, like delicious tamales, you know, things like that. You you would maybe go over to your neighbor's house and you would, you would share food with them. They would share food with you. Or sometimes maybe uh, kids would come up to you and you give them small treats or, or coins or something like that. And I know for the day of the dead, it, it varies how it's celebrated by locale. It's not like our, our Halloween where everybody always just goes out and trick or treats. If you're a kid and you maybe have parties or whatever as an adult, Dia de los Muertos is celebrated very, very differently, even sometimes amongst different townships. But a, a lot of the common themes are some sort of like kinship and it's, it's sort of like in some towns, they say that they they celebrate if it's like children that die during the year, then they celebrate that child's life and and the horrible accident that might have befallen them. And if it's like a, a person who is like older, then they celebrate that like a life well lived, and they they kind of empathize with their neighbors and share food and and they give small treats to the children. And the children don't like they don't say trick or treat. There's no like trick part of it too that it's just you know just treat (laughs) they just they come up and they they ask for something and you either have something or you don't and if you do then great you give it to them if you don't then you say sorry and they say no problem and happy and you know they kind of run away 
So, but I think after the Necroquake, since death is sort of felt so terribly after, man, the night haunt must have really put a damper on any of those kinds of celebrations, right? They, they wouldn't celebrate or even maybe talk about the dead for fear that they might come back. Because if you're like, just think about it. You're in a city of Sigmar and for generations, nothing really terrible has happened. Then all of a sudden one day these ghosts start just running over your walls and killing people with the touch, making everybody feel terrified or scared or angry or, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden your neighbor dies of a heart attack when something touches him. The other one gets strangled to death and maybe a whole family is wiped out by, by like being sliced apart by some geist's claws. That's pretty awful, right? Yeah, that sounds pretty awful. I wouldn't, I don't think that they would want to even celebrate anything like day of the dead after that, because they would have such fear of being of attracting night haunt. I mean, that would, this is something that might affect them for generations or even hundreds or even thousands of years, because this isn't like earlier where it's like, Oh, well we had a couple of zombies show up and they besieged the city and we, eh, we drove them off. No problem. But these are like actual ghosts that just, they come into your house and they say, hi, we're here. Deal with us right now. And when you stab them with a sword, it goes right through them and they laugh at you and then kill you. Haha, <laughs> spooky ghost touch. Yeah, that's pretty awful, right? So that's how I think Cities of Sigmar might have done it before and after. Uh, do you want to take Daughters of Cain? Uh, yeah, sure. So Daughters of Cain, I have a feeling they'd be really happy to go like on a killing spree during this Dia de los Muertos. Dia de los Muertos. Yeah. But you could just say Day of the Dead, it's fine. D- Day of the Dead, okay. But when, but like when the, they themselves die, someone close to them, the friends, family, like I, they would be really sad, be really somber. They probably wouldn't celebrate a whole lot to do with them, with them actually dying. I don't think they would recognize them dying really, or like because you know they all go to whatever hell there is. So. Slanesh. Yeah. They either have two options, right? They've got. You either go to Slanesh and are consumed by Slanesh. Even a sleeping Slanesh might consume an elven soul. Or you go to the underworld, which is um, their underworlds are taken over by Nagash. And Nagash is like, well, you're part of my horrible slave night haunt army now. Mwahaha. Or uh, a, like a third alternative is you uh, go to the underworld and it's no longer there and you get sucked into the Shaiish Nadir and your soul is torn apart. That's pretty awful, right? Yeah, that's pretty terrible. And then the only other option is maybe they have like some sort of blood ritual where they maybe capture your soul and then re-get you a new body and you're like, oh, there's a new body for you. Put, put you in a new body. But even that, as Sigmar has seen, that can lead to some pretty terrible, you know, terrible things. And it might be why the Daughters of Cain are the way they are now. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe they just put them in a some sort of body, but not a body. And we know that they can uh, trap souls because in the in the Gotrik book, uh, the witch elf there has her former mistress trapped inside of, his, her soul is trapped inside of like a, like a bauble. And her master's soul doesn't want her to die because she doesn't want her soul to like be broken or, or escape or go down to any of those other fates. Yeah. Pretty awful fate. Um, they probably maybe might cremate their bodies 
Yeah, because once their bodies are dead, they're probably all mashed up from war. And like I, I could imagine a witch elf not wanting to go back into a body that was all sewn back together, has scars or like any imperfections. They'd be like, no, craft me a new body. Use that blood magic, right? Yeah. All right, what about fire slayers? I, we know that they burn their dead because they they melt them down to get the Urgold back so that way they can re-imbue the Urgold into another fire slayer. Because they're all about that gold. Yeah, they do. That Urgold. Your gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they mostly do celebrate the old ways, even though some of them are cannibal Holocaust nastinesses. Uh, but that does mean revering and honoring their ancestors. So they would probably have like days of ritual and prayer and feasting. I could see them being more akin to how we would celebrate day of the dead. You know, they would feast, they would pray, they would honor their ancestors. Maybe they might even daub themselves in war paint or something like that. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, they'd celebrate pretty hard. It might get a little wild over there. Might get wild. And we know that, Dwarven uh, souls can come back and, you know, old, old Warhammer lore, they can come back and maybe they only come back during this day, but it could be not that way. I have no clue nowadays though in in the realms, but that's fire slayers. What about Ideneth Deepkin? What do you think about them? So they actually like have soul masons. They probably wouldn't respect or need to respect their dead very much. They don't really have a feeling for that. They probably would just, you know, let their fish eat their dead. I mean, unless it was something really important, they might eat it. I don't know if they're like soul cannibals or something. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, do the Ideneth Deepkin consume the souls of their own dead after a battle? Because I know that they have ways to capture souls during a battle and afterward, and they use that to feed. So if like... You know, if I'm on a raid and I die as a deacon, do they feed on my soul? Do other members of the conclave feed on my soul? Or can they even, is it like a soup inside of the the soul capturer's little nets? Does it just mix with the other souls? It might. It might also, because we, we know they're like looking for more souls. So it might just have a bunch of, it, they might not want it just because it's a bunch of like weird, it's a weird mix of other things. Yeah, I don't know. But I feel like they definitely wouldn't respect the dead because that's their food source, right? Yeah. Uh, our society eats a pig. We don't respect them or chickens. We're like, why would we respect those? They're livestock. So wouldn't Deepkin consider them to just be livestock? Yeah, prob- most likely anyway. They're pretty apathetic too. And I say they don't really have much feeling in general, much less yeah. feeling for food. What about carriage and overlords? What do you think about them? Um, they probably would just argue a bunch about, you know, the belongings of the dead, what all their wealth, what happens, and not much, not super a lot about the actual corpse itself. They probably burn them because, you know, they can't really be buried at their skyports. Yeah, not much, not much actual earth there. I mean, unless it was like maybe a really esteemed captain might be entombed or something like that. Uh, but I don't, I don't think they bury most of their, most of their crew. Although if you're like hanging off of the side of a dirigible and all of a sudden something comes up and attacks you and like slices your life support off or your, your, your rotor blades off and you go plunging toward the, the earth below, do they even go and get you? They might not. 
in the Gotrek book, they were over top of a bunch of goblin infested lands and they did not want to go back down there. So they were like, eh, there's a lot of goblins down there. It's a big old swamp. So we're going to stay up here. Yeah. I have a feeling yeah. unless like they knew they had something or they knew that some, that or somebody important, then they probably wouldn't go down there. Like unless they had to. Yeah. But how would they, would they respect the day of the dead? I'd say before the necroquake, even maybe after the necroquake, they probably still would do so. Well, at least with some barracks in the same way that the fire slayers do the ones that still kept the old ways and revered their ancestors. They would probably still, you know, have prayer and things like that. And, and, you know, even the ones that, even the skyports that don't really cling to the old ways, they might do it just out of like to assuage their guilty conscience. Like an as excuse. A, yeah. Like a token embellishment of the day. They'd say, Oh yeah, I'll light a, a candle or something like that. But would they spend a whole day of what could be profit revering the dead? I don't think they would. No, probably not. Definitely not. Unless there was some profit in it for them. Then maybe. Yeah. Then maybe. They're good Lumineth Realm Lords because they're kind of, most recently, I would say they would celebrate Dia de los Muertes. Like they, they would have boring, somber ceremonies that honor the land around them. And that would probably last for as long as they possibly could, like days or something like that. They, they're kind of like, uh, what do you call it? They're almost like druidic monks now. But I could see before that, like in, in the days long past, they... You would wonder if they maybe did extravagant, extravagant things, you know, very slaneshy things like maybe clone new bodies and then allow old souls that are dead to walk around in them for a couple of days and share their wisdom or like have huge parties that are filled with various kinds of drink and food that their ancestors loved or something like that. And I don't know, you know, you would think that before when they were heading toward oblivion, the oblivion of slanesh. Uh, during the time of the troubles that they would they would have done these horrible extravagant things right have masked balls where you know anytime you hear the word vomitorium you know Mm -hmm. you know that things are getting a little decadent right yeah but nowadays they're so ascetic that it's it's almost like they're i mean they have to be right they have to they have to be humble or they have to at least try to be humble because if they don't, then they're just going to get swallowed right up. Right. Yeah. At least act humble. Yep. And what about, what about Seraphon? Let me ask you an honest question. How do you think Seraphon would deal with day of the dead? Um, Seraphon are pretty ritualistic in a lot of their ways, a lot of how they work. So maybe like a little far off, but like Aztec like sacrifices, yeah, they have a lot of Aztecian ways to them. You see that a lot in there. And they're definitely not afraid to shed blood, right? Yeah. And, I mean, you saw it. They did mummify certain certain of their lords, you know? They mummified their lords. So they had to have, they have to have some respect for the ranking members of their, you know, of the cast. But Skinks or maybe Croxigor or any of the lower cast members or the things that don't really think as much as they just take orders. You have to wonder after they die, do they just throw them back into the spawning pools as, you know, fresh meat for the tadpoles or whatever the eggs. They might. I mean, I wouldn't put it against them. It's either that or just leaving them where they are. 
I don't know if they would leave them where they are because if you think about it, they, they travel around in starships, right? So there are two types of starborn. The first type are coalesced and those are sort of dreamed up from magic. And I guess those would just do whatever the, you know, <laughs> whatever their, their little master tells them to do. But the other one are supposed to be like, like flesh and blood. And one thing that I know is that you have to keep the same amount of proteins. You can't just keep spawning and spawning them from eggs without reintroducing proteins into the environment, right? Like if you have spawning pools, those spawning pools have to have some sort of protein for the tadpoles to eat. They've got to have something in there, some nutrients. Yeah, some like sustenance to keep them going. Mm -hmm. And they have to put something in there. And if you think about it, like they could theoretically put humans in there, some humans, but if they put something in that's tainted by chaos or tainted by amethyst magic of death, it could be really terrible, right? Yeah, it could end up pretty catastrophically. Yep, there could there could be spawnings that they just have to like, I don't know, give up on. I don't think they would necessarily respect a holiday because they don't feel like I don't I feel like they're very singular in their purpose. They were like a race created to do a thing. But they do seem to revere their like sacred ancestors. Yeah, they seem like if you go back far enough, they'd like respect them, revere them. You know, it's, it's the old ways, how they used to be, how they used to be super great. And maybe they think they still are super great. So maybe like ritual sacrifices. Ritual I think sacrifices. That's definitely it. Uh, so Stormcast. Stormcast, mm, it's kind of like a bit like celebrating themselves, right? Because they're just like, oh, I'm dead. Look at me. You better. Oh, hey, other Stormcast over there. I've died twice and you've only died once. So I'm the deadier Stormcast. I think you need to respect me and not the other way around, buddy. I am. I mean, I, what are you talking about? I've died like three times now. Oh my God. Three times. How, how could I forget? You've been on that anvil longer than I have, but I couldn't imagine them actually wanting to, to like revisit death because they always they always seem to have memory of their death and they know what they lost when they die like the guy who lost his sense of taste he knows that he lost it because of a certain death and you wouldn't they would not want to relive that so i don't think they would have a day of the dead right they wouldn't respect it they wouldn't and they have nothing to do with their dead when they die they zap back into lightning and go back so who cares right yeah i have a feeling death body you know anything and death is really painful for them. As much as it's like, you know, they come back, it's perfectly fine, zap up in some lightning. It's still pretty painful. Uh, you hear after a couple times of dying, they kind of go a little crazy. Yeah, like let's say, let's say, uh, for instance, every day after you come home from school, um, your father beats you with a belt. And, and every day you come home from school, you get off the bus, you come home, I'm home. And he's like, all right come get your like 15 whoopings at after a while you hear that somebody else is like, Ooh, we're going to celebrate after school day for when we get home from school. And you're like, that was a very painful experience for me all the time. I don't, I don't think I want to celebrate that. Right. Yeah. That makes, that sense. would be, that would be like the Stormcast way of thinking. I definitely don't think they would celebrate it and they don't have really any, cause Anytime they die, they're like, oh, well, see you on the other side. See you when you're next reincarnated, right? There's not really much of like an 
afterlife or like a, a place where they they can go or really even spirits to be fair there's no there's no really like yeah their souls are captured and put back into that anvil and smashed back into place again and if they survive it then they come back so what about sylvanath what do you think about them they probably let where whoever's dead just lay there and unless like nurgle was hanging around or like because you know nurgle's been coming out they might not do that a whole lot anymore they could burn them and like plant seeds in them like in their ashes uh, that might be like cremation yeah, it might be a better option i i'd say before nurgle came into the realm of life they probably did just let them drop where they lie and there you go that was the cycle of life and death you know your seeds you're reborn by your seeds that could happen to Alariel, and she was their god afterward after nurgle they probably do have to do something with fire and you burn things and then have the ashes replenish the ground. Yeah. Or it's either that or having to like really control, really make sure Nurgle doesn't get up in there. Yeah. I, they would probably have a real problem with that. And I don't, I don't think the Sylvaneth would necessarily, they wouldn't, they wouldn't celebrate the dead. They don't, Sylvaneth don't feel like a, uh, they feel like more of a force of nature rather than a society. They exist to do a purpose and not not as just random life that happens to be there, right? Yeah, and I'm sure they don't have much of a concept of, like, ancestors. Yeah, I guess not. I mean, they they do revere Alariel, and there is Durthu, so there there are some mythic figures, but it doesn't feel like they would respect that. It's not their vibe. No, definitely not. Uh, what about Korn? Uh, probably not. Yep, Korn doesn't care. Corn eat their dead. Yeah. Because they have to, usually. Usually. And they, they use their dead to, uh, a lot of times it's like, well, somebody fell right there. Although they do take their skulls because corn cares not, right? Mm-hmm. If they're good skulls, then take their skulls. She's like, oh, oh my boy, Jimmy. <laughs> my boy, Jimmy. <laughs> Go get that skull. Beast of chaos. Um, not unless it involves defiling a corpse because... And even then, it's probably just accidental. I, they don't, they're just like animals. They just, they mate with anything and they just kind of go around blaspheming. They just, they tear up a place and make it all funky and they make their poop sigils, their their giant mounds of poop and make more of themselves and uh, they don't respect the dead at all. I don't think they respect much of anything. They respect strength, I'll tell you that much. They respect a big ones yeah the they respect basic rules of power you know if you're stronger then you're better and i'd say they almost belonging they would belong in chaos if not i mean sorry destruction if not for the fact that they like eat warp stone and stuff like that they're just like oh yeah chaos corpses i'll eat those who cares i mutate a little bit i get an extra tail sounds good to me (laughs) one extra kicking leg yep exactly exactly uh what about zinch what do you think about zinch um Maybe I mean they could like infiltrate you know the city of Sigmar, set up a cult, you know that kind of fun things. Yeah, they would be like on a council and plan a Day of the Dead festivities, and then they would like they would imbue it in with some sort of magical ritual, and it'd be super convoluted. It would all fall apart at the end, but it, if it did, if, if everything fell into place per- exactly perfect then the cult would maybe all sacrifice themselves at the exact same time. And the honored ancestors would tell them to like 
do some terrible things, they'd be like, get into some magic like I did, you know? <laughs> yeah. Go, you should totally go flip that dude's hat off. Yes. Uh, forbidden knowledge. That's what you should get into. <laughs> I'm, this is great radio. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at Evelyn and like fluttering my fingers like, ooh, like hypnotizing <laughs> her. Ooh. Oh, that's funny. What about Slanesh? I, th- I think Slanesh would, Slanesh would probably infiltrate the celebrations and the masks and the, Slanesh would be all about the revelry. It would be all about whatever's too much. How much candy is too much candy to give to kids? How much, how much food would be too much food to give out to your neighbors or to accept? Uh, how much paint would be too much paint to put on your, you know, body while you writhe around in the street, you know, it's, ingesting harmful substances while you were cavorting with your neighbors in, in this weird, you know, kind of, kind of dance. That's definitely Slanesh right there. Very over the top. Yeah. They would overdo it. Most certainly. And they would probably get found out and it would be this, you know, I hate to say it, but it would be like an orgy of violence and eventually they would probably be stopped, but a lot of people would probably die. Yeah, they'd be like, oh, no, we've been found out. Time to be extra, extra. Yeah, time time to be extra sadistic over here. And then, you know, they'd, they'd get into, like, dancing with the corpses. And oh, it would be just terrible. Slanesh would be just an awful thing. What about Nurgle? What do you think about Nurgle? Um, they probably wouldn't do much. They'd pretend to be sad, maybe, and or pretend to have some negative emotions feed off of it. And, you know, treat their dead like just another thing to breed some uh, diseases. Yeah, they'd be like, I'm so sorry about your brother. <laughs> Let me go over and pay my respects. And then they go over and like infest his body with a bunch of maggots and stuff. She's like, here, little buddy. Brushes off some. <laughs> yeah, brushes off some like some maggots and some like centipedes and weird old corpse creatures and everything. I think they would. Nurgle would celebrate Day of the Dead, but it would be for all the wrong reasons, right? Yeah. It would be for self-serving reasons, like inviting a cycle to more, like more life. Right? They would use it as a way to maybe spread corpse-borne diseases. They'd be like, no, don't, don't, you don't have to bury your brother. He's only been dead a week. Wait until the celebration. And then he gives them this like corpse fever or something and everybody that comes over and sees him that would be how Nurgle does it and like a, the gift is just like a box it's like a centipede and a couple of spiders and, the, and they were just like oh my god thank you what's the meme the gift is always more disease mm-hmm. it's, it's I got you a gift what is it more disease and and then there's of course Skaven they they eat their dead I don't think they really respect their dead because they consider a dead comrade to be a failure whatever whatever happened to cause it to die it's because it failed in whatever scheme it planned, right? Why would they respect that? Skaven don't respect anybody except for themselves. They're very, very, like, very greedy. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of how they do be. They do. What about Flesh Eater Courts? What do you think about them? You know, because of how, like, deluded they are, they probably see their fallen comrades as, like, really epic. Like, they died for a, a good cause and probably would have the most faithful interpretation of the Day of the Dead. Yeah, because of their delusion, right? Because they think they're themselves so noble. And, you know, Day of the Dead is really a noble holiday. It's about celebrating life and death. And if anything, they would probably 
They would say, oh, our famous brother has died in battle and we remember him forevermore. And they're really like, it was like some half dog, half like corpse ridden monster that died in a, in like a battle against some elves or something. But, but they think of him as like this heroic knight that single handedly broke the siege and allowed them to, to gain entry. So that way their hated foe could not intrude on their borders anymore. So I would definitely think they would have a faithful interpretation of it. I mean, they've got all shared delusions, so they mourn their comrades, right? Yeah, I have a feeling it'd be a ceremony, but it'd be an odd ceremony. Yeah, because they have such a medieval society, such a society of, like, masters and vassals, that it creates this, like, breeding ground for superstition and odd ceremony. And that's where you would see, like, most of these... It would be like a feast day, right? Yeah. So I think flesh eater courts would definitely do that. Although I think they would also probably eat the dead bodies. Yeah, but you know, they'd probably also think that they're like having a great feast. Oh yeah, like maybe they would save them for a special a special day of the dead feast. They're like, we will honor our fallen brothers in this treasure of treasures. And it's like bloated, nasty corpse meat from like months ago that's all rotten and funky. <laughs> it's all funky. Gross. Yeah, that's nasty. Or maybe they're like like desiccated prunes because they buried them in like sand. So so they're like meat jerky corpses. Meat jerky. I mean, if you salt it enough. That would be nasty. Over to Nighthaunt. Nighthaunt, would they know Day of the Dead from any other day in their torment? Because Nighthaunt, when you were in pain, I know that when I had my surgery and I was in pain, every day was just like the other. I... Like I missed Mother's Day completely and felt super bad about it. To me, that was just another day that I was in pain. So it was, I was just living to try to like get out of that pain. And if, if these spirits are like in constant torment, they just might not recognize it. Yeah. Plus I have a feeling uh, Nagash and all of his wonderful little ideas wouldn't give them the day off. No, Nagash isn't about holidays, is he? No. Definitely not. Uh, what about Ossiak Bone Reapers? Uh, canonically speaking, they would probably be the same, right? Like they wouldn't, I mean, they might use it for their own benefit. They would say, oh, during the Day of the Dead, a sacred day where I go around to this particular, you know, city and, and force them to give a tribute of bones. As they would any other day, to be fair. Yeah, but they would, they would like consider it to be a great honor on their behalf. You yeah. know, something like that. They, they do they do kind of operate like a mafia, but non-canonically speaking, like the, my Ossiarch Bone Reapers or the story that I made, they might actually take it a little bit differently because my Ossiarch Bone Reapers have a human society that like works alongside of the Bone Reapers and they not only prepare themselves to become Bone Reapers, but they, they arm themselves with knowledge and they try to prepare themselves to be the best army that they possibly can be. They train themselves in war. They train themselves in, in combat. So that way, when their souls are stitched together, stitched back together into these bone reapers, they add to that bone reaper, right? Yeah. I haven't heard a whole lot of the lore from your bone reapers, but from what it sounds like, I have a feeling the bone reapers would take it seriously because they're working alongside these humans. They're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a cool holiday. Did you listen to my bone reaper lore segment? I probably did. I don't think I did. It was a short story. It was called Prisoners of the Gods. Oh, wait. The one where it was like the elf and the... Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I did listen to that, actually. In it, I kind of was trying to do a little bit of world building for Bone Reapers and making them, making it so that, like, there are cities of humans that live in Shaiish, and there has to be cities of humans that live in Shaiish because the Bone Reapers need more bones. They can't just, they have to go to these cities and get more bones, and they need strong bones. So if they had a society that worked with them rather than them constantly coercing them to give them, like, half rotted bones or maybe they have to go in and slaughter half the city to get the bones that they need if they instead had a city that worked with them to try to grow their population and give them more and more and more bones each year and revered them like Nagash wants like Nagash wants people to worship him right and since he is the bone reapers the bone reapers are Archon and the Archon is Nagash Archon the Black is Nagash it would be like these people are worshiping Nagash and, and the people think that they are, the bone reapers are their ancestors, their sacred ancestors. So every single construct is an amalgam of all of the souls that have come before them, like all of their ancestors. Yeah. And humans of course would take the day, you know, pretty seriously, especially if they think of these as their ancestors, their revered past selves well not just their revered past selves but also a guardian of future generations because the bone reapers protect them so they think of their whole life is okay i need to uh prepare myself to become a guardian ancestor to guard the the future generations that come after me my children and their children's children i will become part of this vast army that protects them against the predations of the realms, right? Yeah, we all know humans have some pretty strong feelings when it comes to like feeling like they're, oh yeah, I'm pr- going to protect these people. I'm going to be, you know, heroly. Yeah, they they want to always protect their offspring. They have a an urge to protect it. I, I would say that's how Ossiarch Bone Reapers would, well, at least mine would. Eventually I will paint up some Ossiarch Bone Reapers and I'll probably use this kind of a story behind them. Not right now, because that's the army that you're doing, but eventually I will. Eventually I'll be painting up all the armies, so. What about the Grave Lords? What do you think about them? The vampires, I should they say. They would probably also make it about themselves, kind of like, you know, like the Stormcast, they make it all about themselves, throw themselves a huge feast, you know, extravagant balls, parties. Oh yeah, they'd say, oh, it's the Day of the Dead, that is my day, of course. And then, yeah, they would, they would have all the tons of bloodletting they would just oppress the populace they would force it to become a holiday rather than something that is like a you know a spontaneous holiday and so the people of their cities would just hate it right yeah probably that would be pretty terrible i'd say uh, vampires are they're just awful awful leaders right yeah they're pretty terrible at that kind of thing I guess we should um, we should head on into gloom spite. What do you think about them? I, well, I, actually, I'll tell you what I think. I think they make their dead into breeding grounds for like spiders and mushrooms and maybe like bruise. They I don't think they have much respect for the dead. Yeah, they just don't care. And I have a feeling if they did celebrate, they wouldn't celebrate for the dead. They'd celebrate for the celebrating. Yeah, they they'd be like, oh, it's a it's an excuse to get all you know psychedelic and maybe accidentally sacrifice some folk. They're kind of crazy. And they're pretty uh, eccentric. They're definitely nuts. Anybody that has a mushroom or mushrooms growing out of them, pretty definitely crazy. And maw tribes. So I think maw tribes probably wouldn't celebrate 
much other than maybe their own like lineage and they would definitely eat their dead. They'd eat anything. Yeah, they definitely eat their dead. They do so you do hear them talk about like I'm I'm this tyrant who eater of this last tyrant who ate this tyrant. Like they do capture their lineage insofar as they just want to make themselves look better, I think. Yeah. Or, or bigger. Or bigger, yes, yeah. bigger. But every ogre is pretty much destined to be eaten by another ogre. Yeah, either another ogre or something else that's willing yeah, to eat or it. something else is going to eat it. It's kind of like when I used to watch those nature documentaries and I would see these vast herds of buffalo, antelope, or whatever, and I never really thought about it until I saw them starting, you know, getting picked off or killed. And then I thought every single one of those is destined to be eaten by another animal. Every one. No matter what it is. Even if they die of a heart attack or old age or whatever, I'd say old age, if they slow down and they can't make it anymore, then something will pick them off. Yeah, herds just sort of leave them behind. Yep. They're destined to be eaten by something, even if it's a scavenger after they die suddenly. So that's how Maw Tribes feel. Yeah, they feel like they eat everything, they'd eat their dead, and most anything that, like, like, you know how you're talking about, like, corn mostly eats their own dead and wouldn't really celebrate it, just sort of eat other, like, I feel like other than that, it's kind of like corn, they don't, they probably wouldn't celebrate other than the whole lineage thing. Yeah, they just don't care. They're like, eh, I killed this guy, isn't that fun? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's good, right? We have two more. One of them is war clans. And war clans, you know, orcs feel like demons. They, they live in the moment. They live for now. They're always like, what can I kill or what am I on the way to kill? They're never like, oh, before this, I did this and, I, you know, let's revere this ancestor that came before me. They just don't give a crap, right? Yeah, and I feel they definitely just leave their dead behind and be like, that's, that's a past thing. Yeah, because that's how they, they reproduce, right? They leave their dead behind, they, they uh, swell up and they burst into more spores that all of a sudden there's more orcs. And more orcs are more good for them. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think orcs would celebrate that at all. But the Sons of Behemoth would. Oh, I'll tell you what. Before this, I didn't know very much about Sons of Behemoth. And I I thought to myself, you know what? Let me go ahead and read up on them a little bit. And I'm super glad I did. Because they have what's called these, these giant tales or tall tales. Where they essentially make up stories about how they created whatever it is in the universe. Like uh, their god... Behemoth trips over some something or other and lands in a sea, like belly flops into a sea and accidentally floods some uh, some elves. And that's how the Deepkin were made because afterwards the elves were like, eh, we're going to make our home underneath the sea so that way that doesn't happen again. Like that's what they believe about almost everything. They believe that they, they went around and stumped fire slayers flat and after that all the other generations of fire slayers were born all stunty and small. So that's why fire slayers are, are short. <laughs> yeah. like So if the sons of Behemoth did celebrate day of the dead, they would probably make up a gargantuan tale about how like Behemoth got a cold. And every time he sneezed, he created more night haunt boogers. And that's how they came to infest the realms. You know, like he's just like, Oh, chew. Oh, actually he's got some night haunt boogers. You know, it's, it's like ectoplasmic snot. And then, and then maybe the ectoplasmic, the, uh, the endless spells were like his loogies. He's like, hop, oh, there's another endless spell. I have a purple sun. Just, just a sun hanging yeah. over there. They would definitely make up a tall tale about that. I mean, I didn't really know a whole lot about them either. 
it's not it's not an army you hear a whole lot of lore about, but now that I hear about it, it seems like it would be a thing. That seems fun, right? Yeah, it seems pretty epic. Yeah, every everything about that army is just totally made up and it seems so awesome. So they just make stuff up. They're like, Oh yeah, um Behemoth uh crawled out of this ogre or I'm sorry, this uh giant this the enormous giant's belly and crawled to his mouth and smashed his teeth open and that's what made the mountains the like broken off teeth you're like okay and and the god that originally he crawled out of his belly he like he went to sleep with his mouth open and his drool is what created like the rivers and stuff ew yeah it's pretty funky i love it i like it a lot so that's how we think that all of the warhammer races might celebrate day of the dead if you have any questions about this or any comments or maybe some additions, we're always happy to hear them. You can send us an email, seriouslynarrativepodcasts at gmail.com, or you can always use our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash seriouslynarrativepodcast, all one word. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to go into the narrative part of the segment next. I'd like to thank Evelyn for being here with me today. It was really great to have another voice, kind of a different voice to, to share this. Well, you're welcome, and thank you for having me on this podcast. It's been really epic. I haven't really done anything like this before other than that one uh, little YouTube moment of popularity. <laughs> but uh, other than that, it's, this has like been a really epic opportunity for me. Oh, no problem. And I'll definitely have you on in the future. Absolutely. you'll. I'll tell you what, Evelyn's definitely going to be my co-host for a little bit because I like Renee is great and all. She's my wife, and I love her, and through her, all things are possible, but Evelyn comes and plays the game with me a lot more so and she paints some more and so maybe i might have her on a, a bit more if that's cool with you yeah that sounds pretty epic awesome awesome well thank you very much for being here and uh we'll see you guys later you're about to hear a trio of short stories that i wrote over a couple of days uh, kind of an homage to the teenagers telling stories around a campfire or you know, people trying to scare their you know, significant others or their friends as they, you know, around a campfire in the woods or in a remote location. I thought to myself, well, what would the people of Age of Sigmar realms, what kind of stories would they tell? How would they tell them? Would they be as just awful as the lore suggests? Would they have some sort of like a black humor to them or like a, a dark humor? Or would they be just creepy? Or would they be more like fables, like life lessons? This is kind of what I came up with. I wrote it over the course of three days because there are three stories and I figured I'd do one each day and see what I can come up with. Originally, I was going to record them separately and present them at three different time slots in the podcast. But I, after I was all done, I thought, well, maybe I'll just go ahead and record them all together and then present them as one long narrative or rather a longer narrative. So hopefully you guys enjoy. I know I enjoyed writing it and I got a little bit creeped out myself. So get a couple of chills down your spine. So without further ado, please enjoy. Nightmares and Realmscapes My pa used to tell us this story all the time when we was kids. It were about his grandpa, and it happened during the summer or winter. What's that? Jolie asked. 
Uh, one day, after we finished planting, it all turned cold. It was spring before this, but after, well, the next day we just needed a jacket again. At first, the town thought we had guessed all bad, and this was just a late front. Then days turned into weeks. We shivered inside our houses. Ain't no firewood laid up on account of the winter was too harsh. We started burning everything we had to stay warm. Did you burn your bread frame? That was Jay Lee. No, dummy. That thing got coated in wax not too long ago. Size, what are we going to sleep on if in our beds burn? As if Tom had a valid point, Jerry Lee sat back and poked at the green-yellow flames of the fire. That weren't the worst of it, though, Tom continued. We was running out of food, mostly for us, but for the animals, too. My grandpa, he was a wiry one, slick as orc spit. That's what Mom always used to say. Mama didn't like Grandpa, because uh, she said he was a liar and a drunk. Anyway... Grandpa had this old cabin up in the foothills he used to hunt and sometimes in the fall. He thought maybe the animals mightn't be hungry enough to be sniffing around up there. So, took the old hunting rifle he got from them short fellas back in the war, walked a horse and was hunting dog Gus up there. He said it was a nasty couple of hours on account of the snow. And by the time he got up there, that wind was blowing and that snow was a-coming. Tom chuckled and could barely get the next words out. And when he got up there, the the wind had knocked the door halfway in. Old Grandpa must have been cussing, trying to get them snowdrifts out so he can close the door. He never liked surprises, and he said it were colder than that out at first. (laughs) He never liked surprises, and he said it were colder inside than out at first. But his pappy had always taught him to have a stack in reserve from last year, so he had some dry wood to burn out in the barn. Once he got the horse up in a stall and a fire roaring, he wasn't feeling too bad. That's quite a lot of liquid courage he had up there, too, so he went about getting himself prepping for the morning. Tom leaned in conspiratorially, and by that, I mean he got good and drunk. By next afternoon, though, he was waking up to see straight and the snow had stopped, so he went out and tended up the horse and saddled her up for a ride. He said he could barely see the sun that day on account of it was all cloudy. My grandpa knew them hills like the back of his hand, but he almost got lost twice, he said. Maybe it were the snow, maybe it were the booze. Anyway, he didn't get too much, but my grand used to say that luck smiles an old fool sometimes, and he jumped off for a morning constitutional, fell right into a fox den buried in the snow. Crunched two of them as he got off the horse by accident, and the mother came out all snapping and yipping. He said he clubbed the thing down with the middle part of his rifle and... And felt a little bad about it. Beats meat, Jerry Lee said with a shrug. When you're hungry like that, right? Right, Tom said with a nod. Grandpa weren't about to look away at fresh meat. So he went about dressing and gutting them and went back to the cabin to celebrate. And by celebrate, I mean he smoked up some meat and drank. Uh, Grandpa weren't no fool, though, so was, he didn't drink too much that second night on account of he didn't want to mess up the meat. The wind were howling fierce for a while, but he said it calmed down a little bit after dark. And that's when he heard a crunch, like ice and snow breaking right outside the wall he were smoking on. Grandpa froze, look at his dog. See, this is where it's peculiar. That dang dog, who at any other time howl his fool head off any time a coyote come anywhere near the farm, weren't barking at all. In fact, he was shaking, hiding underneath the table. Grandpa froze. Listen for another sound. 
He ain't hear another crunch, but he did hear a dripping sound. He knew it weren't warm enough for ice to be melting, but he could hear heavy splat, splat, splats just outside the wall. Now, y'all been up there before, and them walls ain't made of no mortar or stone. Sometimes you can see through the cracks in the logs, though. Grandpa took a nip of his spirits to give him a little courage, then bent down and looked. He couldn't see much, given it was full dark, but he said he could see the shadow of something tearing off into the wood. He thought maybe it were one of them grizzlies coming down after smelling what he was cooking up. The whole rest of the night, though, kept his rifle near. Must have spooked him, because he dragged the table out in front of the door. He said it were just in case the door blew open again. Tom cocked his head to one side and pursed his lips in a gesture that said he knew better. Next day, went around to that side of the wall and there was a bunch of frozen blood all over the place. Some on the wall, too. He thought maybe some animal had gotten injured and come to the warmth of the wall, so he took old Gus and did a little tracking and left the horse back to rest for the day. He said he lost the trail after a bit and the blood disappeared, but but Gus took him a few hours out to where a big old deer lay on its side, had antlers the size of tree branches, with a bunch broken off and long scratches down its hide. Grandpa said something had bitten to its neck and damn near cut the thing in two. But meat's meat, so Grandpa dragged it back to the cabin. It had frozen outside during the night, so he had to thaw it out a little before he could get to work on it. Before long, he was salting and smoking up the venison. Uh, that third night, maybe he did a little too much celebrating. Not so much that he ruined the meat, but he was singing some bawdy song from Shoremere about lady and a ship and a bottle when he heard it again. This time, it weren't no single crunch. It sounded like something was slapping the snow outside breaking off the thin layers of ice on top and running around the cabin. Grandpa froze and listened. Outside, he could hear that horrible drip sound again. Blood, he thought, and thought that were just the drink talking. Then he heard a snapping sound, like bone crunching and meat tearing. His hands shook as he grabbed the rifle, and he instantly felt a bit more sober. He made to bend over and take a look at the crack in the logs. As he did... Two red-stained fingernails came through the crack. He jumped back and fell over the table behind him. Whatever it was scratched the wood outside and slammed against the wall. Whole cabin shook, and Grandpa cursed. Y'all get out of here before I blast you, Grandpa yelled at it. But he also peed himself. He said it were the drink getting the better of him, but I reckon he was just scared. Old Grandpa tried to think of how long that animal's nails would have to be to go through the crack and have two inches besides. Long. He looked at the bloody smear near the crack, which had widened to almost a half inch as the thing's claws had drawn back. He could see something out there, and he could hear crunching from the ice and the snow. He didn't sleep a wink that night, so he said. He didn't drink any more, neither. But I think that might be a lie, too. He said he was waiting till full light afore he went out, Looked through all the cracks, but didn't see nothing. As Grandpa walked outside and looked at the wall, his fear and hesitation turned to anger. His old mare was propped up against the logs. She was a bloody mess, with her guts all out and her head cut near clean off. Something had gouged huge holes in her side. Both her eyes were missing. Must have been a grizzly, Grandpa said. Must have been a big grizzly. Spent the rest of that day saving what meat he could from the horse and salting it. 
but most of it was ruined from what that animal had done. He cursed and drank the whole time, and eventually a pounding head and exhaustion from the night led him to a wee nap before mid-afternoon. Now, if in you had had one of them naps before, you know it ain't no good for you. You wake up all half-rested. Even worse, it were full dark before Grandpa woke. The fire had burned itself out, and he hadn't lit another one in the lamps earlier. He heard a wheeze and a scratching sound around the wall outside. Again, he heard the splattering of whatever it was out there. His head swam and pounded as he struggled out of bed, and he banged his shin on the frame of the bed. Remember, it was full dark out there. Dark inside, too. A low moan escaped his mouth, and the pain cleared his head for an instant. It were in that time that he heard the sounds stop completely. He froze, wincing against the fresh pain of his shin while he listened. Then he heard something inside the room. Splat. Splat dripping to the right. His hands shook as he tried to find his way to the door that led from the small bedroom to the main room. Behind him, he heard a floorboard creak as something heavy dropped onto it, and he ran for the half-seen doorway. His shoulder caught the door, and the doorknob slammed into his side, knocking him down as something snapped at the air behind him. He felt something cold and wet drip into his face. It smelled like a corpse, and the fetid drips of half-coagulated blood that dripped into his mouth made him roll over and gag. The claw that would have disemboweled him raked across his back, and he screamed, scrambling backwards and somehow dragging the door to the room shut with him. His shirt lay in tatters across a back that was now on fire. He slipped and scrambled on all fours in his own blood, and as something slammed against the door, it shuddered in its frame. The whole cabin shook. Grandpa crawled over to the smoking embers of the fireplace and blew on them frantically. Mercifully, they rekindled, and in the low light he saw the knob turning on the door ten feet from him. It jerked and turned, caught, and turned again. Grandpa moaned as the door creaked open. He could barely see the outline of the thing that was walking on clawed hands. Its mouth opened and a long tongue tasted the air. It hissed in his direction, showing rows of teeth. It had no eyes, but he could see its blooded guts dripping onto the floor. As the fire dimmed, it scratched and dripped its way across the floor in ungainly jerks. He turned to blow once again on the fading embers, but by that time, it was already on him. Jerry Lee leaned forward. And then what? Jerry's face was missing an ear and had a long, ugly scar running down the right side. What happened? He blinked. What do you think happened? Jolie said in a no-nonsense tone. She made a choking gesture at her neck. Really? Jerry Lee said. He was frowning now. How'd you know? Tom shrugged. My grams found him with his neck all twisted up. I want to go next, Jerry Lee said. He was putting one finger through the ragged holes in his rough spun shirt as though he were trying to make them wider. Doing so made the chains around his wrists jangle together. Stop it, Jolie said. I hate that noise. Jerry Lee stopped fidgeting. He looked into the dancing yellow-green glow of their fire. This were long ago, he said. Reckon about a hundred years or so. 
bulk of Burnwood all were set to have their fall burning. That's on account of where the name came from, see? In the fall, they burned everything they could in the town. Wood, extra crops, old animals, even people. Some purifying ritual or something, I don't know. Anyway, they always spread their ashes everywhere. On the fields, in the grass, even outside their house. One woman named Mary didn't on account of she lost her husband a few days ago, hid him away in her house, and didn't burn his clothes or nothing. She did tell them all that she'd put him in with the rest of the pile to be burned, but she didn't. Why not? Tom asked. Jerry Lee's brows furled up and his cheek twitched. I don't know, man. Why do people do anything? Tom sat back again, quiet. He chewed on one lip as though he wanted to say something else, and Jerry Lee shot him a warning glare. As I was saying, she hit him. See, she thought he was going to come back if and she put some of those ashes on him. Like how the crops come back every year when they did the same. She turned up at the fire and folk left her alone and let her leave early with a bucket of ashes on account of her husband dying so near to the festivities. She went back to her house and cried and prayed. She put them ashes all over him and held him stinking and all. It were a long time into the morning before she fell asleep. She had the worst dreams of her life being chased by fire. What woke her up though was him moving around, jerking and kicking. Mary had ashes in her eyes and all over, so she barely saw him getting to his feet. His breath came in ragged little gasps, like he didn't get much air or something. He still had that big old corpse belly, though, all swollen and stinking. One should know it, the first thing to come out of his mouth at Mary was a long groan that sounded like, Why? Red, green blood spilled from his mouth. One of his eyes was yellow and red, the other milky white. Mary turned and ran, but tripped on the stairs on account of she was half blind, you know, from the ashes. She fell, tumbling over and over until her head smashed the banister at the bottom. It still had rough edges on it because her husband had just installed it last month and it broke up at her skull. Did she die? This came from Jolie. Yeah, Jerry Lee said, but she came back later that day. Her husband must have gotten some of the mashes on her. She woke up with only one eye facing sideways and a splitting headache, and she was hungry too. So they went next door to their neighbor. Patty and Robert had a son who was fond of answering the door. His name was Rob Jr., so he ran for the door. But when he opened it and saw Mary all split open like that, he screamed. Mary's husband must have been all excited or nervous or something because he threw up and it went right in old Junior's face. Junior collapsed on the floor, shaking and hollering. Big old red sores were starting to grow on his face and neck. So Mary bent down to help the boy, and that's when Patty came running from the kitchen. She must have been baking because she had an apron on it and it was all covered in flour. She must not have seen Mary's husband or... Well, she might have married a run for it, but she ran to her boy and scooped him up. When her hands touched his head, her fingers swelled up like sausages. She screamed and looked at him, oozing clear oil. Her wedding ring burst off her finger and went shooting up, tearing into and piercing her cheek. 
Her face swelled until her lips were pursed and she couldn't scream anymore. Only problem was, it were a small town and them screams drew in folk. A half dozen showed up to try to help. One got too close, and when Patty's fingernail popped off, it caught him in the throat. He gasped and choked, then rolled to the floor, green and yellow leaking from his lips and nose. His ears became beet red, and he pulled at them with his hands until one came off. It got bad, Jerry Lee said. It got so bad that half the town came, and, you know, with one thing or another, worst part is, nobody died from it. They all just screamed or walked around in a daze. One woman got a fever so high her blood boiled her from the inside and her eyes caught fire. Burned all her hair off and turned her skin black as coal. One guy had his skin melt off like it were a wax candle and he just walked around, bleeding everywhere. Finally, the town decided to do the one thing they could always count on. The rest of the folk who weren't infected burned it all. They burned everyone and everything until the air was thick with soot and nobody could see on account of the smoke. All the rest fled that burned-out husk of a town. They only took the clothes on their back and whatever they could carry. A few made it to the next town over, but most didn't. They were covered in ash and crazy almost to a person. It weren't until the people of Iron Grip Ledge started helping them in they noticed the red spots underneath all the grime and soot. By then, folk of Iron Grip started changing. And that's how the Ash Plague came to be. Is it still going on? Tom asked. Yes, Jerry Lee said. Some folks say the folk of Iron Grip started praying to the dark things. Praying because they hurt or because they couldn't take it no more. Folks say something nasty took notice and trapped their souls inside their rotting and diseased bodies. All I know is, them towns is lost now and nobody goes near. Ash in the air, see, from all the burning. Some people must have died, Jolie insisted. Else, how would anybody know? Jerry Lee shrugged. He looked uncomfortable, and one of his hands tucked in his remaining ear. Yeah, some. Jolie's back straightened, and she cleared her throat. She smoothed her torn skirt over the nubs of her legs and winced as she accidentally bumped the small white bone sticking out of the skin. Jerry Lee and Tom looked away, feigning embarrassment. How'd it happen? Jerry Lee asked. He was always one for plain talk, and Tom was thankful for it. Jolie's face turned ugly. Her lip curled and her nostrils flared. The black, hollow sockets where her eyes used to be stared in their direction. Red shields, she said. Red shields and toothy grins. Nobody said anything for a long while, so she continued. I was a milkmaiden farther than more, just outside Avonshire. Was just a spit from the bayou, and we knew some things was living out there, but we didn't know what, though. First we knew a trouble was when the men folks started missing. Some of the guard, some farmers. Most were big men, though, tall and strong. Used to work in a field all day. At first, we thought maybe they was running away. They did that on occasion after a tryst with someone's wife or daughter. Six days went by and twelve men disappeared. Then nothing. Nothing for a week. And one came back. She snorted and shook her head with black humor. 
<laughs> well, he came crawling back with a lot of broken bones and his leg caught in a steel trap. Nasty thing. Chewed right through the bone. Someone had carved his tongue out and chewed off his thumbs. Swamp Rot had already gotten the leg, and he died when the doc tried to amputate it anyhow. The elders had a meeting. We traveled around the town in twos and threes after that. There were curfews, and I don't know how many folk respected it. Most people likely. It was like a fear had spread across us, a static charge that put us on edge and made us not sleep nights. Some drank hard, some fought over the smallest things. That all stopped the night the rattles came, though. If you never heard them, you wouldn't understand why they're so terrible. It's like a sound a cicada makes in the summertime, only louder and from all around. Being inside barely muffled the sound, and it was summer anyhow, so nobody closed up the house at night for the weather. You couldn't sleep through it. It got into your teeth, buzzing and humming. Your head thumped to a counterbeat to it. It just made it worse. After that first sleepless night, uh, we only saw the little ones, green-yellow, the size of children, running around cackling and getting into stuff. They soiled the food and painted the walls with foul-smelling brown smears. Some parents ran to screaming children in their rooms to find them scratched or bloody, or worse, missing fingers or toes. Families huddled together, and anyone who was scratched or bit, swamp rot, appeared quick after. A low moan escaped her, and she rocked gently back and forth. My boy, my boy, Jolene said. They didn't scratch him or bite him. They took him right out of his room through the window, stole him out into the night. She hunched over, looking defeated. I looked for him and damned the darkness and damned the curfew. I followed that blood and looked. One of them found me and bit me on the calf when I turned a corner. I screamed as part of my leg came off in a ragged tear, but I was so mad I knocked it with a mallet I had grabbed for helping shoe the horses. It was the size of my boy, but it weren't him. It was all yellow-green, and its skin was paper-thin. had a big old nose, long and jagged, rows and rows of teeth. Biggest ears you'd have ever seen. I gasped and lay there in the street. A chunk tore out of my calf while it flailed about with a broken back. It howled and screamed while I held one hand over the shredded muscle. I could see more, not coming close, but trying to hide in the shadows of a barn. I couldn't imagine what they did to the cows in there. My leg hurt and my head spun, and all the anger drained out of me with my blood. I was hot, sweaty, scared, and dirty. I just wanted to get out. Something bad was happening in my town, and I needed to get out. So I ran. Small, hiccuping sobs came from her, and she clutched her skirts with the ruins of her nubless fingers. I just ran as the first lights came over the horizon, and the big ones came into play. It weren't just butchery. The screams went on for long, long after that. They went house to house and had their fun. I barely made it a mile outside of town before they caught up with me. They were slick, hunched brutes, slimy from the swamp, maybe. They had mottled green skin, liver-spotted with teaks and leeches. Some had swamp grass covering them like hair. Or maybe it grew out of them, I don't know. Hunchbacks, every one. All of them had them red shields, grinning their toothy grins. 
They dragged their nasty knives across the teeth of the shields, and the sound it made up close was magnified from what it was. It buzzed in my wound on my leg, and it tore it open. I tried to run, and one of them got me with a catch pole around the throat. I tried grabbing it, but vicious barbs alongside the outside of the catch tore my palms. I screamed as they dragged me back the whole mile. There weren't no skin left on my hands by that time. Something tore into my throat just as they started in on my legs. She winced again and touched the nub of bone sticking out of a white-green leg. Jolie had no thumbs, and the rest of what remained of her fingers bent backward instead of forward. I can still hear that rattle, you know. In my hands, in my legs. Why do my legs hurt when they ain't even here no more? How do the bones ache like a sore tooth in winter, she asked. They looked up as one, as the green-yellow light of their fire coalesced around a vaguely humanoid shape. It choked and gargled on the rope tied around its throat, leaning forward. A rough mask over its head muffled its gasps. The light lay at the end of a ghost-green gibbet, pulling the figure to the north. Tom was the first to follow, his half-eating visage trailing viscera and leaving small trails of frostbite on the ground. Jerry Lee wailed and tore at his missing ear, leaking ethereal trails of bloody pus on the ground behind him as he rattled his silver chains. Joe Lee collapsed on the twice-cursed ground. The chains around her neck dragged her behind them, but she crawled with broken spectral fingers toward the flickering light. The ground thrummed as she scratched and clawed. She heard a child's screams, and her abused vocal cords could not even cry out to a name she did not remember. She saw nothing through the dark holes where her eyes had been burned out, but in her mind's eye she saw smears of blood on the ground and followed them. The chain rasp horde was on the move once more. Welcome back for the question and answer segment. The question that we have today is Crusade mission packs for specifically Warhammer 40k. Are they worth it or not? And I'm going to have to say after buying two of them, they absolutely are worth it. I would say a lot of people say, oh, well, you should only buy one uh, for your gaming group. Like, you know, if you have five or six people, then one person buys the thing and then they all, you all kind of share it. And I do agree with that, but I'll tell you where you might actually get a bunch of use out of this thing. The first thing, obviously, there's like a, a you know a campaign that centers around two protagonist, one antagonist, one protagonist, and the ones that I have, I've got the Beyond the Veil mission pack, and I've got the the latest one to come out with the Admech and Adeptus Sororitas. I can't remember what it's called. They they do have a little bit of an expansion in each of them for like your agendas and some relics and some battle traits for crusade, which I think really injects a lot of kind of necessary freshness into a crusade. It injects a little bit of freshness into it. It kind of gives a certain whoever, whomever the antagonist or protagonist in this case would be like the Necrons. They got, you know, a bunch of new battle traits, new relics, new, just everything that you could think of, for wanting to refresh yourself. And I feel like they could do this for the other races uh, for 
that don't have their battle tome yet. And it's been what a year and maybe a year and a half now. And you can imagine some, some races are, I've been waiting for a long time. Like wouldn't it be neat if Tao got a crusade, uh, you know, maybe a couple of months or maybe even a year before they got their battle tome, just so that way they had some extra crusade bits to, I don't know, make them feel better about themselves. I don't know tower in a pretty hard spot right now, but I still think it would make them better to play. It would make them more fun because you know, you're, if you can't play to win or if it's hard to play to win, then at least you can play toward the crusade, right? If you're like a Tal player. And I feel like if, if Tal just had one of these, you know, they'd be able to really, really kind of get into the groove and maybe they might actually get, you know, some more sales in that department. I don't know how, what their sales looks. Like. I don't I have no clue, but I can imagine that their sales might be up after they are featured in one of these. Whereas, you know, previously people might look at them and say, well, they don't really have a new codex. And yeah, I don't know if I want to get into that. But what I really like about these, what I really like about them are the missions. And they have so many missions. They've got six missions for combat patrol, uh, six missions for incursion, which is kind of more like the thousand points or like 50 power level-ish kind of thing. And then you've got six missions at strike force, which is sort of between 75, you know, like 75 to 99 power level. And then they've got six missions for, um, for onslaught, which is sort of big battles or very large battles. And that is a lot of missions. If you think about it, that's 24 missions that are all centered around a campaign that you can play, which means that you aren't, you don't, you don't have to sit down to the campaign and say, oh, well, we have to play these six missions because that's what the campaign has and that's all there is. There's 24 of them and they're all laid out and all their maps are laid out and everything. So all you have to do is say, okay, well, um, let's play two at Incursion, two at Strike Force, and two Onslaughts, and that'll be our campaign. And you don't have to pick the same ones each time. You know, I really want this to be a thing for Age of Sigmar because Age of Sigmar, amongst other things, it lacks in mission viability. So much so that in third edition right now, we are, you know, we're actually rolling open play missions because we've played all the other missions. There's only like, let's see, for General's Handbook, there are what, six of them. And in the main rulebook, there are six and there's six. So there's like 18 right now. And we're July, August, September. September, October, we're, we're four months out and we've played all of them. We've played all those missions and we, sometimes we play them twice or three times. And now we're like, Oh, well, I guess we have to make up our own missions, but our pocketbooks are open, right? We, we want something like this to inject 24 new missions into the age of Sigmar, uh, sort of revelry. And I feel like they could, they could use it to shake up the meta a little bit. If you think about it, some of the, you know, monster heavy lists are good. And especially with the, you know, whole Gur centric theme and people who take lists that kill monsters are pretty good because, you know, you get points for that. They could shake it up a little bit. Like I, when I was playing Night Haunt this, this last time, I didn't necessarily feel, uh, what's the word? I didn't feel like I was hampered by Night Haunt, not being able to use certain abilities, but I did feel like I, uh, there was a part of the game that I didn't play with. Like there was, there was a part of the game that, that they just said, you will not play with these bonuses or these fun little things. You will not have these choices to make. I mean, I guess that makes my choice easy, but on the, at the same time, it makes it a little bit more difficult for somebody to enjoy Night Haunt and third edition because 
when you think about how everything now either gives you everything now gives you plus one save and Nighthawk just can't have it. So there's no more casting mystic shield on yourself. There's no more getting, I mean, you didn't get in cover anyway before this, but there, you didn't, you can't use cover at all. You just kind of ignore it. You look at your command traits and you're like, well, I don't really need this or that. So I'm just going to kind of not spend it on plus one to save because there's no reason to do that. They do kind of make up for it because an unrendable save is pretty darn good as I've realized, especially with the number of one shot ballistas and things like that. They're pretty good when the, your opponent looks at you and says, well, it's a negative three to rend. It's going to be D six damage. You're like, I don't care about rend. It's a four up either way. So I wish that there were abilities that the night haunt had that were like these abilities. So for instance, maybe instead of um, plus one to save, maybe I could use my command point to give me reroll ones, or maybe I could use my command point to just not make them ethereal for a round. That would be really great. That way it would be a strategic thing where I'd say, okay, well I'm making, I'm using my command point to make them not ethereal for a round. And therefore, you know, being in this cover actually helps me being strategic about it. Having cast mystic shield on it actually helps for this particular round, or maybe just this, um, this combat phase, that would be perfect. Something like that. Just, I want options. I love abilities that make you think, make you choose, make you say, okay, well I want this or uh, I want this, but I can't have it all the time. So I have to really pick and choose. I don't like abilities that are like, well, as long as you're within your bubble, you're good to go. And if not, not. So do that always. Because then you just never get out of your bubble. You don't play them. You know, you don't either don't play the mission or you play the mission with everybody wrapped up in a tight little ball. I love abilities that are, that you actually have to pick and choose. So I want Nighthaunt to have more of those. Back to Crusade though, this, this mission pack. Question is, is it worth the money? I'm going to go ahead and say yes. And the reason why I think it's worth the money is that even if they change, and I mean completely change the entirety of Warhammer again, like if they, for instance, go back to seventh edition, which they probably never will. But if they did, let's just say they did this crusade pack. It's still very viable. It's incredibly viable because all the missions are, you know, they're still there. You could still play with them. You still have objectives. You could still have, mission critical assets, you have things like ambush and it'll all, it would all work. It's future proofing a little bit. I think that this will stand the test of time. Unlike say a codex or a battle tome, those things, they get invalidated every couple of years, but we still have to buy them. I'd say this thing, you could replay this crusade one or two editions from now, or let's say you could play it a whole edition from now when your, your um, Necrons are good again. When, when Necrons are back on top, then you could say, oh, well, I want to play this. And then playing against a Space Marine player that has a pretty good army list, you guys might have a, you know, a pretty good chance at being, I don't know, even, I guess. So I like them and I'm going to continue to buy them. Also, I like the fact that they're spiral bound. That's super nice. They're not going to break and they're kind of little. So they fit in book bags and they fit in different little places that I don't have to worry about carrying another hardcover book around that's super big and bulky. So I do like that and they lay flat. So yeah, I'd say they are worth the money. That's the question for tonight. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Seriously Narrative, a Warhammer podcast.
If you'd like to get in touch with us for questions, please email us at seriouslynarrativepodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page at facebook.com backslash seriouslynarrativepodcast. This episode of Seriously Narrative, a Warhammer podcast, is protected by the Creative Commons license. If you have any questions about the Creative Commons license, please visit their website at creativecommons.org. Music is provided by Incompetech, created by Kevin McLeod, and used under the Creative Commons license. Thank you for listening.